Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is fucking killing me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. We're together today. We're here. <laughs> Woohoo. Woo. In-person podcast. In-person intro. Yes. <laughs> um, today's interview was done remotely. Yes. We've talked about this a few times in the past. It was so awesome that we were able to adapt to remote podcasts mm -hmm. because it gave us the opportunity to interview people that we might not have otherwise been able to sit down with. Like, yeah kind of expand into like more of an international um, guests. And yeah. so this year we were actually doing both in person and remote. Yeah. And it also like allows for us to reach people that might be part of the Toronto or the GTA community, but aren't necessarily living here mm -hmm. or it's just like inaccessible for them to like drive into the city. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So today's interview was done remotely. Mm-hmm. And we're super excited about it. Yeah. Lisa Conway, super cool musician, uh, music producer. We learn a lot about how her artistic process leads her into collaborating mm -hmm. with multidisciplinary artists. Yeah. Yeah. She's also like up to so many cool projects. Totally. And very interesting. How are you, Rainy? I'm good. Yeah. Thank you. Oh. I'm good. I'm feeling... I'm feeling like shit is opening up. Like, I'm feeling normal. Yeah. I'm dancing again. Yeah. I'm teaching again. Getting those self-tapes in. I'm fucking feeling like my life is a little bit more back on track. Totally. I felt that way after we went to spin that one morning. Yeah. We went to spin class together, and then we had breakfast, and then I went to work. And I was like, wow, this is like a normal day. Yeah. Yeah. And it was super fun because of the new um, vaccination um, passports. Yes. We were able to like take our masks off and spin and like work out without feeling like I'm waterboarding myself. <laughs> also be like confident in the people around us have also done that same, taken the same precautions that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I really, it's just feeling like I'm going to spin. It's feeling good. Feeling know? good. Feeling good. Planning trips, things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. Things are looking a little bit more bright. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels... I, we talked about this a little bit as well, but, like, it doesn't feel like there's as much, like, impending doom this year around this time as there was last. Totally. When I think about last year, I feel like I see everything in black and white. Like, everything Oof. was gray. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's more of, like, the depression in my brain and how, like, my brain <laughs> has, like, fixed those memories. Yeah. Um... But yeah, I'm just feeling, I'm feeling really good about this time of year. And uh, though I'm not like where I'm at, would want to be at because of the pandemic. Um, like I'm feeling like as everyone is behind. Yeah. But I think that like we're on, we're on the upscale. It's feeling like. Yeah, I agree. When I think about this time last year, I think about how different I'm feeling recording in person. Mm -hmm. Like, cause we started out last season recording in person as well. Yes. I remember being very anxious in those episode yeah. recordings because I was like, what if something goes wrong? Mm -hmm. What if tomorrow I start, I'm sick and I just exposed you mm -hmm. and potentially your household and then our guest and their household and just like being constantly anxious about that. Right. And like being back in person now, I feel so much more confident in like being able to make choices. And guests want to be in person. Yeah. And a lot of guests um, who are in the area have wanted to record in person. Yeah. Everybody's like, like you said, excited to like a little bit be a little bit more normal. Yeah. Take those baby steps. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So it's nice. Yeah. How about you, Corinne? How are you? Um, I'm good. I was just like thinking about like how different 
the world was that I was thinking about this the other day, like how different the world was like when we ended season four, yeah. <laughs> like still in lockdown yeah. <laughs> versus now, like things are very open and continuing on that path. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. I hope everybody's enjoying this time. Like, I don't know how everyone else is feeling, but I hope you all are feeling real thankful. I'm happy to be, you know, out living my life, feeling a little bit more normal, seeing my friends. Yeah. Hope you had a good long weekend if you got to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Ready? Yeah, let's go. Here we go. (laughs) Now you're here. Did you complete your master's during the pandemic? No. No, no, no. That was in 20... 14, I guess, like a while oh. ago. Yeah. Oh, wow. Awesome. I didn't realize yeah. that. Um, old master. <laughs> old master. <laughs> um, I have like some questions about, like, because music is so different in different places of the world, how did you find like going in? Because you moved to Belfast and you were living overseas. Did you feel like living in a different area really like changed your specific style and how you created? Um, I mean, I guess it's hard to answer that because I was studying at a very specific program. Mm -hmm. Um, so a lot of my musical experience in Belfast was rooted to the academic work that I was doing, um, Mm -hmm. which is pretty different than, uh, traditional Irish music. Like I was studying mostly like sound art and electroacoustic music and making, like my thesis piece was something, a, a piece of, of work for 32 speakers. Um, wow. So I was making pretty weird stuff and living in a bubble of making weird stuff. Um, <laughs> but I, I think there's something to be said for like being removed from your community that you're comfortable with um, uh, just in terms of growing as an artist. Like I was really focused on school because I didn't really have a lot of friends or the the people that I were meeting were new friends. I'd never been to the city before. So Uh it felt more like a residency, I guess, in that way. Right. Right. The program was called Sonic Arts. Is that what it Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, how would you describe that to someone that doesn't know what that is? I've had to do that a lot. (laughs) It's pretty fun having a degree that people are like, what? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess I would describe it as a program that is uh, using sound as a medium in the same way that you would like use, talk about paint as a Mm -hmm. visual art medium. So it's kind of it wasn't focused on genre or uh, certain styles of music. It was kind of just um, a way to explore sound in a lot of different ways and a lot of like sound collages, but just talking about listening and. Right. Yeah. Does that lend itself to like immersive experiences in like multidisciplinary exhibits like that kind of work? For sure, yeah. Like the the people that I studied with kind of came from a lot of different backgrounds. Like one of the one of my classmates was a visual artist uh, that was using sound more and more in her work. Um, and she like one of her projects was um, converting an overhead projector into an instrument. Um, 
and some people were coming from more of like a recording engineering background or instrument building or um yeah it was kind of it was very open which was a really good fit for me Mm -hmm. when you talk about you what you designed for your thesis was with 32 different speakers were you like sending um like different types of like electro beats or sounds to each speaker individually and then like hearing what it all sounded like in this space yes and no like I I split it there were rings of speakers it was in um a space at the school that is called the sonic lab um so it was eight rings or sorry four rings of eight uh at different height levels. Um, I think that's 32. My math is very bad. Um, and <laughs> I wouldn't know if it wasn't. <laughs> um, so I had divided them into vertical strips uh, in terms of sound placement. So each speaker didn't have its individual, I guess it could have had individual sounds going through it, but um, I, yeah, I guess I've, I've found when you have that many independent channels, uh, it's kind of, it's not only like a routing nightmare, but it's also um, more effective, I guess, I find to group things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I was doing, like my thesis piece was based on my experience with MRIs. And so I was like composing MRI scans uh, because I found my experience uh, when I had an MRI was quite musical. Um, mm. So I was kind of imagining being inside of a giant MRI machine and wow. uh, writing weird. They're quite loud, right? Like they MRI are. machines. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Also like quite daunting from like, I've never had one, but from everything that I've heard, they're quite daunting to get like an MRI done it's interesting that you had such a musical experience inside of it I think it was a coping mechanism to be honest like (laughs) it it is like it is a very claustrophobic space and it's scary to um yeah I was in a bicycle accident so I was just having a brain scan and yeah all of that was scary so I think my way of kind of dealing with it um, because each scan is different too, and mm-hmm. it's very rhythmic and very loud. I kind of was like, oh, this is like a dance party. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like rhythmic drum patterns are happening. Um, and that was kind of the way that I didn't have a panic attack, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I guess like whatever, how you, how you cope with it. it I mean, that's such an interesting what thing that your brain did that it like moved all of this like fear and anxiety over to like something that you like very much love and enjoy. Right. It's like, it's very cool. Um, after you finished your math masters, did you feel like you continued around like the same interest or did you feel like you, you moved on, you've like really expanded what you were interested in? Hmm. Um, I guess yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I, I get, yeah, I guess I've always been an artist that is interested in um, interdisciplinary collaboration and also 
yeah, I've always been a bit of a, a sound nerd. Mm-hmm. Um, so that all continued. And I, and I think I'm always excited about being involved in projects that um, push myself as an artist where um, I, ent- I say yes to something and I'm not sure uh, of the results. <laughs> and, um, but I'm conceptually really excited about it. So I think that's been something that I've, I've always done before and after doing my MA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, cause then you moved on to do the, the Red Bull Music Academy, which I have so many questions about this. <laughs> I'm so interested about it, mostly because I was immediately like intrigued by, I mean, that Red Bull is like the, is like the main sponsor of it, right? Mm -hmm. yeah and then um what what is it if you want to just like explain it so I have like a better understanding and for people listening to sure it's something that actually stopped happening which is a bit of a bummer um I got in at the last second uh (laughs) it's um a Red Bull sponsored like a couple week um I guess there's master classes and uh, a bunch of different artists um bunch of lectures that happen it's kind of like a camp almost um and red bull pays for everything uh and it's pretty intense application process it was like pages and pages of application form um and they fly artists from all around the world uh to make things together and be mentored by a bunch of different artists um and yeah, the year that I did it was in Berlin. Um, oh, just yeah, really incredible. It, it was Berlin. definitely Berlin something. Is such a cool city. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was in a great city, and and honestly, something that I applied for that I was like, I'm not gonna get in, but I might as well try. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Every time I imagine a Red Bull sponsored event, I imagine like extreme sports. Yeah, that's why I was like so intrigued by by the fact that they had like this music academy program going on. And Berlin is such a perfect was like the music style is very similar to yours, like very like electro beats or was it everything different? Um, I mean, it was a real they really at the academy itself they curate it to have kind of a mix of um different artists for sure like I guess um yeah I felt like I was like making slower things than there are a lot of people that were DJs and really into techno in a Mm -hmm. way that I I, um feel a little bit more out of that's a bit more out of my comfort zone like I gravitate to a slower tempo (laughs) generally um but yeah, it was really, there was a lot of Red Bull and fridges all around us, um, but no <laughs> pressure to drink it, even though like our schedules were very full and we were very tired. Um, but uh, yeah. How many Red Bulls did you actually drink though? I didn't actually have any. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Are you not a caffeine I had person? some of their sodas. Oh, I had coffee for sure. Um, <laughs> but I was kind of trying to hold out. Um, yeah. yeah. It's kind I, of gross. 
I don't think I've had a Red Bull in like five years. <laughs> I was talking to someone else about this. I would, were like the last time I had a Red Bull was probably like a Red Bull and vodka when I was 21. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so true. <laughs> um, how have you been like working throughout this pandemic on your work? Have you, I know that I've personally felt like I don't know. I felt like we were given this gift of time for all of us to like work and um, work on our art and, and do everything. But I found very overwhelmed by like the looming <laughs> pandemic. Um, do, were you able to like sit down and really work and not feel overworked or not feel like you were trying to scheduling in time to be creative or, or how did it go for you? Hmm. It's a big question. Um, yeah, I, I think that the beginning was definitely really tough mm -hmm. um, because I had a couple projects. Um, I guess 2019 was a pretty hard year uh, for a lot of reasons, um, personally, and also... Um, just in terms of my workload, like I think I was extremely exhausted and had been kind of just, yeah, not taking care of myself. And um, so I was really burning out hard at the end of 2019 and started going to therapy, which was immensely helpful for preparing myself for the pandemic because yeah. Yeah. I had started building tools that I think if I hadn't started building those tools, uh, it would have been even harder <laughs> um, because uh, I guess I realized that I didn't have any hobbies and so much, <laughs> as lame as that sounds, um, yeah. so much of my identity was wrapped up in my art work yeah. and everything that I was doing basically was related to that. Um, so having like a calendar that had, like I was supposed to be in Europe for two really big projects. One was writing the score for a theater piece in oh. Germany. Um, and another was a dance piece that I was a sound designer for that was premiering in Paris. Um, wow. So those were both like huge things that had kind of been getting me through to be honest having a hard time in 2019 I was kind mm -hmm. of like okay at least I can look forward to mm -hmm. these two big things they're going to be amazing um so when those got canceled uh I definitely was pretty lost for a while <laughs> um and in a way that I'm sure a lot of other people were like it's hard when the things that uh you're excited about are, are gone that are also your income um but yeah now I'm now it's a bit different like I'm I'm I've been really busy for the last year I guess and I've been doing a lot of um studio work I've been doing a lot of mixing work and composition work so um yeah it, it's been it's mm -hmm. been good in in that way like I, I'm I'm grateful that um, a lot of my income wasn't uh, 
performance based before so yeah yeah it's you touched on something so interesting about like realizing you didn't have hobbies (laughs) which is also something that I have noticed when people are like what do you do what do you do for fun and I'm like i like you're like I don't I don't know it's like hard to answer like weird questions and I it's something that I I think I wonder if it's because like the things that we're doing now were things that started off as like extracurriculars that you were put in as a child like music lessons or um, dance lessons or like theater or something like that and now you're like doing the hobby that you were doing when you were a kid, but now it's like the job and you're like, well, what is my hobby outside of my job then? You know, like it's this weird thing where you, you're kind of become like, you're doing your job and you're doing your work, but then you realize you're like in your mid twenties, middle age. And you're like, well, I don't have any hobbies. Like, do I start knitting? What, what do I fucking do? You know? I also like wonder if there's like a just, you've done the justification in your brain that like now this is a job, but to mm-hmm. everybody else in your life who saw it start out as a hobby, haven't done that same like switch over. And so they're mm-hmm. still talking to you about it as if it's a hobby. Right. Yeah. I don't, it's weird. <laughs> and it, it's weird that you don't recognize because you're like so hungry when you're, you know, in school and like when you're younger and just like trying to get work that you don't realize that you're like, I just don't have any hobbies. <laughs> that was such a good point that you made I think it's I think it's something that people don't talk about a lot either like or other artists because there's such kind of a cult of I don't know maybe cult is the wrong word but a narrative I guess of um, the struggling dedicated artist that all you do like we celebrate overwork and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I haven't had a lot of conversations with other artists about like hobbies that aren't leading to something yeah. else. Like yeah. even if people work in many disciplines, it's like always tying into their practice in some way. It's not like, I don't know. It's always research. It's, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is weird. And then when sometimes I think when you do have like hobbies outside of or before the pandemic, when you did have hobbies outside of what you were doing, it was almost like fr- not frowned upon, but like I and and maybe this is like something that I put on myself as well, but like other art like I felt like other artists would look at me and be like, "Well, like you just don't love it as much as I do because I don't have any other ho- this is my life, you know?" Mhm. And it, yeah I feel like that's like the the moral energy that like goes around surrounding it right I don't know it's very it's tough and I I think that also because like we're yeah like the entire industry is just like glorified and overworking and like really relating to that artistic struggle like you know like Hemingway really fucked us over because he really glorified what being an artist was um in many ways also being an addict yeah <laughs> and that, yeah and that kind of like glorif- like the like struggling artist glorified really that you know woe is yeah. me look how sad my life is all I do is write or whatever he did <laughs> right yeah yeah it's so 
It's so tough. How do you feel like you're working more now? You said, so it, you don't, how are you feeling now getting back to everything? Like, do you have projects that are helping balance like your, your work and your hobbies now, or do you, are you kind of like easily getting back into that overworking? <laughs> um, the balance is hard. Yeah. yeah the balance is going to be like an ongoing practice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, I'm, I've been getting asked to do a lot of mixing work re recently, um, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an ongoing, ongoing balance. I, f I feel like as a freelancer, like everything always comes at the same time, yeah. um, which is hard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I've just been tr trying to be more realistic, I guess, about what I can actually do and saying more, saying no more, um, because I have to, um, mm -hmm. but it's hard. It's hard to say no. It's hard to say no to stuff. Yeah. Cause yeah. Sometimes I like get scared that I'm going to say no to the wrong thing. Like, have you ever said no to something and said yes to a different project, but then the no that you said ends up having more opportunity with it? Yeah, I'm sure I have. And I've yeah. said no to things that I still wonder if that would be like, that was my chance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to say no, but, yeah. but I almost feel like it's, it's actually helped saying that I'm busy and that I can't do some, someone's mix until a couple months from now or something. I, it's actually gotten me more work, I think too, in mm. a way, like having mm. boundaries in that yes. way, I think people respect you more so a thousand percent been working out so so far I just yeah. was like listening to someone speak on this um a couple of days ago where they said when they finally started changing the price of their commissions like they were talking about how when their commissions were like 80 to 100 dollars for 11 by 8 or whatever uh, they would just get complaints after complaints and like things would go wrong and like that people not paying their invoices and blah, blah, blah. And when they upped it to like 250 for commissions, like upped the price, the level of respect they got from customer respect or like the level of complaints they got dropped dramatically. Like as soon as they started valuing, valuing their time mm -hmm. more, other people automatically adjusted. People started paying their invoices immediately. People started not making complaints or not, not picking something up. It was like everything changed. So I think there is something about that, about saying no or having boundaries that really tells other people that they have to respect you as much as you respect yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which like using in a practice can feel difficult, like saying no or setting boundaries for me is like, gives me anxiety. Like everything's going to be a fight if I tell someone no, right? Mm -hmm. Which isn't true. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that they, when you, I mean, I like listened to the same thing. They were also saying that the way that they, because they would get, an, they would get like not annoyed, but they would like, it was really like hard to finish those like smaller, those not smaller pieces, but like those pieces when they were like 80 to this. Whereas when right. they like upped them, they like had more 
they felt more inspired and like more creative and like really valued the time to work on them as well. Right. Which is interesting. Cause there was like also the, like a numbers game, right? You're not doing right. any, so you, she like the artist found more joy in doing them and like yeah. inspired by her clients rather than like, man, I have 30 of these to finish in a month. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, why do you think that you, you like work, like you work lots in in, interdisciplinary, um, work. Do do you like collaborating with like artists who are like bringing in different types of like experiences and different types of work? Or are you, do you feel like you're drawn to those interdisciplinary works more? Um, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I like working with artists, um, that are different than me and um I'm not sure like I I, yeah I I guess I'm I'm just always like obsessed with growing and I I think I've I've made a lot of decisions in my career just based on people that I think are cool asking me to do things um (laughs) rather than focused on I'm this type of composer this type of artist I've kind of ignored that and and I I think in the industry people are a bit confused by that they really like you to have one thing that you do Mm -hmm. Um, but I just really like working with people that I think are awesome (laughs) and (laughs) um, have just been making decisions based on that and and I, I think in dance in particular, what's attracted me to work in dance is um, there's so much like focus on the body, mm-hmm. which is really interesting uh, to me as a musician, especially as a vocalist, because mm-hmm. it's not something that's that common, unfortunately, in the music world. <laughs> and mm. um, I guess I've just felt more cared for, to be honest. Hmm. working with dancers or there's just kind of such a self-awareness of the body that I find Mm -hmm. nice as an environment to be in right like I care like kind of like our our bodies like our instruments so like a caring for of the body I guess and like yeah yeah but your body is your instrument when you're singing at a rock club too but rock club I sound so like I I guess I just don't know why in the music world um at least in my experience things are changing but um people we're still kind of like getting rid of that rock star kind of Mm. image where there's also struggle and addiction and and unhealthy Mm. habits built into that but um yeah there's just like such a beautiful self-awareness of the body in the dance world that I like being around. Hmm. Yeah. It's a nice environment for sure. Um, You do have, Oh, I haven't a question about, I kind of want to like go back to this idea of vulnerability that you had when you like emailed us some little ideas. Um, My first question about that is when you decided to do your MA and you moved to a city where you didn't know anybody. Sorry, can I just pause for one second? I'm getting a lot of feedback somewhere and I don't know, is it me? Maybe just Corinne, it might be your zipper your mic is hitting on. Oh, how's it sound now? 
um, better. I've just okay. been watching Lisa's and I don't think it's yours. I just thought maybe it was my hair for a second, but I just want to be aware of it. Cause I'm hearing it a lot. So just okay. be cautious, but hold, go on that question. Sorry. Just uh, be aware of it a little bit. Um, you talked a lot about vulnerability and how it's hard to put out work and be vulnerable in front of people as being like a sensitive person. So I want to know in your decision to do a master's degree in somewhere else where that, like that vulnerability came in, were you willing to be more vulnerable in deciding to do work in a different country? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I guess, um, I've been, I'm a sensitive person that, um, seems to really enjoy being vulnerable and Mm -hmm. putting myself in front of putting myself in situations where I'm, I'm vulnerable. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure where that impulse also comes from. There's like a lot of insecurity but a lot of security there and confidence there but um I grew up in a really small community in northern BC and I moved to Toronto when I was 17 and I'd never been to Toronto uh so I I guess moving to Belfast didn't seem that scary to me because I was like oh I'll just try it. <laughs> I mean, it was scary, but it also was fine, you know? Um, um, yeah. And then in choosing a moniker, like, cause you don't, when you release music, you don't release it under your name, Lisa Conway, you lease it under Elcon, right? Mm-hmm. And like, is that moniker a way to protect yourself or I mean, it, it kind of is my name. Yes, totally. Almost. It's your first initial. <laughs> yes. But it's also like when I was looking up stuff to listen to, I had to be like, oh, that's not what she releases music under. So it was like, I had to go an extra step to find mm-hmm. some stuff to listen to. Um, I think, I think I, I decided to do that. I've had different monikers over the years, but mm-hmm. I think there's maybe like a resistance to being uh deemed a singer songwriter for a while I think I didn't want to be (laughs) even though I write songs and I sing them there was kind of like a genre for a while I think of singer songwriter that I didn't want to be affiliated with for some reason and um, I think that's where the decision to have a moniker came from Um, yeah and I think probably it was also rooted in in that I like produce and record uh and arrange and I'm really involved in kind of that side of my record and um or all my records and and I've had to kind of really fight to be recognized uh for that work Mm -hmm. and um yeah I don't know maybe it was also fear Maybe I'll release something <laughs> under my name sometime. What do you mean but, when you say you had to like fight for? Mm. I I guess just um, it's it's hard in general to be recognized for the behind the scenes work. I think like mm-hmm. um, just because people don't read liner notes <laughs> all the time, 
but I think, um, yeah, there's because there's more of an awareness, I guess, that people who sing songs can also be producers and uh, recording engineers and, and do other things, but um, there's still, it's still a very male dominated industry. So um, I, I think that plays into it as well. Yeah. Have yeah. You, sorry, Corinne, go ahead. Have you come up with against resistance from people when you're like, oh, my name should be on this. I should be credited here, here, and here. Mm. On my own work, I mean, I don't have a label, so I'm pretty, right. I have control over the credits in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've definitely had fights kind of in former bands about uh, crediting and uh, songwriting labor being acknowledged, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, I can imagine like the politics of being in a band. I mean, it would be so hard too because everybody thinks that their labor is worth something different, right? Like everyone's life experiences has given, made them feel like they need to work really hard to get like this type of recognition or they need to work this much to work, you know? Like I imagine it's very hard to figure out the politics of that. Yeah, and I guess people are are sensitive about diff- or want to be recognized for different yeah. things. And there was a point where, I mean, I've just had to make like a very specific shift uh, in my bio, in in what I'm kind of pushing to people mm. to be recognized um, for the production work that I've been doing the entirety of my career. Mm-hmm. Um, just because otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I just have had a lot of people tell me that I have a pretty voice and not recognize the rest of the labor that I'm excited about, like talking about mm-hmm. Pro Tools plugins or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely made like a specific effort a number of years ago to just like load up the press releases and the bio mm-hmm. um, to just be like I'm doing this <laughs> <laughs> right taking the yeah. edit yeah there's something else I wanted to jump right back into what you said about Lisa um when talking about your moniker what was the not wanting to be thought about as a singer-songwriter what about that stereotype for you was like not appealing um I'm not sure I mean I think things have changed Mm -hmm. in the last few years like I I know of like some experimental electronic artists that are releasing things under their own names now but Mm -hmm. there was a, a a period of time where um I don't know it was um just kind of more of like a folk confessional uh, (laughs) songwriter that would use their own name to release things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But I do use like, when I uh, just thinking about like, ownership and taking credit. uh, Yeah. 
like I, I use my name on when I mix things or when I compose things. So it is in circulation in that, <laughs> in that way. Um, maybe, maybe that's part of it too, like separating, right. uh, even though it's all an extension of my practice, but like separating Elcon, the songwriting project from the work that I do for film mm -hmm. uh, or right. mixing or whatever. Mm -hmm. You feel like you've like compartmentalized different parts of your practice and keeping them compartmentalized is like a safety thing for you. Again, going back to like this idea of vulnerability. Maybe. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to unpack that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. Like, I think maybe as a performer, maybe it ties into the performance aspect, which I guess I haven't really been doing in the pandemic uh, for obvious reasons, but um, it's, I, I think, yeah, that's where the excitement of the moniker kind of comes into mm. it that like, even though it is me on stage, it is also like a heightened performa performative version of myself. And right. um, it's easier to kind of get into character per se, even though it's really not a character <laughs> um, by uh, separating that from, like yeah. it has to be different than me playing video games. <laughs> the, that version of myself, you know, is, is yeah. different than the one on stage. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I only ask that question because it's like, I feel like that's something I do quite a bit. Like rather than just calling myself an artist, I like when someone asks me what I do, I like have all these like titles, like, oh, I'm a dancer and a producer and a podcast host and this and this and this, rather than just like calling myself one thing and letting myself be multifaceted in like a more general sense. I like to, for some reason, to compartmentalize. And usually it's the thing that I've been doing the longest that's first because I feel the most valid in that identity. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I identify currently as artist and not musician, which mm -hmm. is confusing to some people. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not a musician. And they're like, well, you make music. So I don't know how that works. But, but I think that comes from insecurity probably that I feel less than as a musician right now and if I'm making things with a computer maybe some people wouldn't think that that is a musician in a traditional mm. way but mm. Mm. um you briefly touched on the idea of if you thought being an artist with like the um, the idea of being vulnerable and the, like not so being contractual, a contractor. So like the, sometimes the income is a little bit like unsteady and not consistent about how, uh, in terms of like your own anxieties, you think a, a different career choice might've been a better, <laughs> a better decision. Um, what has been the thing that's like pulled you back to the music and the sound every single time that you kind of like get, go down that rabbit hole? Um, I guess the people mm -hmm. at the end of the day and yeah, people asking me to, to do things that I can't say no to because <laughs> I am excited about them, but, but yeah, I mean, I've actively like 
during the pandemic at the beginning I was like okay this is it I'm gonna have to find a new job I was like going down internet rabbit holes I thought I needed to go to architecture school for a while (laughs) even though I have no experience as an as an architect and then I thought I needed to be a therapist there's like all, all sorts of kind of (laughs) careers being thrown around and uh but then more things started coming my way again and I couldn't say no um so it's definitely people Mm -hmm. and projects I guess yeah 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 it's always so interesting to me because every artist I talk to when they have those like weird like ugh what am I doing moments? (laughs) Um, They're all like immediately the first thing on their like Google search is like one specific like school program. It's like, should I be, should I be a lawyer today? Like, should I go to law school? Should I write my LSAT? You know, or like, should I go to architecture school or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing may be. Um, it's, it's just so interesting that we all have this like second identity in the back of our heads that we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I think, I think that's fine. I think I'm just going to be a lawyer now. I'm going to be an artist turned blah, 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 blah. Um, but there, there is like a weird thing that like pulls you back or you get like, like you said, you kind of like get more gigs and then you're like high highs and then you're low lows. And <laughs> that's really just kind of, I think the journey of what it, what it is like to be like a freelancer right now as well. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I guess until the pandemic, um, I was serving or I was catering mostly before the the pandemic, but like food service has also been my kind of uh, way that I've subsidized having an art career. Yeah. Yeah. For the last forever. And um, it's not something that I'm actually doing right now, but uh, that was also substantially um impacted obviously by the pandemic so um yeah I think that was a huge uh huge huge brain kind of cloud (laughs) yeah uh, to to navigate when you're like backup that you (laughs) think is always going to be there um it's always like I always kind of thought I could get a bartending job somewhere if if everything fell apart and then that wasn't a possibility really uh for a while either um yeah of course yep yeah yeah it was we both serve so we (laughs) we get that (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah like pre-pandemic I was like I think I'm done I had like enough like contracts and like teaching and everything and I just finished my master's and I had like plans to go work at the university and I was like I think I'm done yeah serving I think at the end of my so career close. <laughs> just kidding <laughs> oh just kidding again this industry is also terrible now um <laughs> um okay well on that note kind of like talking about <laughs> everything and like being an artist and what is drawing us um is being an artist fucking killing you um I don't know <laughs> I don't know I I guess no yeah Uh, yes and no it can be both it can be none of the things it can be all the things yeah yeah I mean it's being an artist is uh 
my entire life uh despite uh despite what we talked about with that being dangerous and <laughs> being important to have hobbies like yeah um I can't stop so I don't know mm-hmm. trying actively trying to quit still not yeah. working <laughs> <laughs> oh but, by the way did you find a hobby do you have a hobby now <laughs> oh yeah um <laughs> I do have some hobbies. I actually, something that I got really into during the pandemic was video games, Mm, which I've always had a lot of like guilt about being a waste of time, but um, it's now like kind of a restorative thing for me to like put on a podcast and play Zelda or something. Yeah. (laughs) Like wandering around in a different world. Yeah. Um, So yeah more cool. video games cool that's good that's a good hobby yeah I agree yeah that's something I also got into during the pandemic is video <laughs> games so respect <laughs> awesome well thank you Lisa so much for being here with us if people were looking to listen to your music or look, looking to contact you where would they find you um I guess you can find me on all the usual spots uh I'm on Bandcamp. Bandcamp is a really good place to buy music from artists because we get more money than from Spotify. <laughs> um and but I am on Spotify as well and Instagram, Facebook, all of the all of those baddies. I'm there. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right. Um, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you had any questions, if you wanted to let us know what you thought of this episode, go ahead, send us a DM, send us a Facebook, let us know what you thought. Um, and as usual, you can find us basically anywhere you stalk your ex. So thank you all. And we will see you next time. Bye.